All right, good morning again. Middle schoolers, don't forget that there's something uh, for you today because it's the third Sunday of the month. So um, if you've been here over the last month, you know that we have been in a series called Conversations with Jesus, where we've been looking at the places in the Gospels where Jesus has an actual dialogue with somebody or with a group of people. And this week, we're looking at a very short conversation. Uh, in fact, I'd say it's kind of a stretch to even include this in our Conversations with Jesus series uh, because it's so brief. But I really want to talk about it. One, because I think Jesus is brilliant in it. Uh, and two, because what Jesus says has significant implications for how we relate to politics. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're going to get a little bit political this morning, uh, just a little bit, but I don't think we're going to get any more political than Jesus gets in this passage, so don't blame me. Okay. So that question, <clears throat> how should we relate to politics, is a really important one, right? Because we live in a very politically divisive time, don't we? Uh, even if there's a lot of things that we can't agree on politically, one thing we definitely can agree on is that it's politically divisive climate right now. I know of families and friends who aren't even speaking to each other right now because they have such sharp disagreements over politics. And this political divisiveness, it exists within the church too, right? Uh, there are Christians who find it unthinkable that anyone could be a follower of Christ and be a Democrat. And there are Christians who find it unthinkable that anyone could be a follower of Christ and be a Republican. So this is an important question. How should I, as a follower of Jesus, relate to politics? Right? Should I stay out of it? Should I get really into it? Should I align with a political party? Should I not align with a political party? What's the right political party if I should align with one? Right? Now, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's not going to answer all of our questions. Okay? But Jesus says something that gives us a foundational answer to the question of how we should relate to politics. And I think it is so, so important in this politically contentious time that we hear what he has to say here. So if you want to follow along in a Bible, turn to Mark 12, starting in verse 13. Mark 12, 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, the text tells us very clearly here that this question was not asked with sincere motives, right? They didn't really want to know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? What they really wanted to do was to catch Jesus in his words. They wanted to ask Jesus a question that would be impossible for him to answer without harming his ministry. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a... a, a ministry leader and somebody asks you in a very public forum, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Well, 
however you answer that, it's going to have repercussions in your ministry where some people are going to be upset with you, right? So that's kind of what's going on here. This was a question that was intended to trap Jesus and hurt his ministry. Um, now, why is that true? Okay, well, give me a moment to explain this. In those days, uh, the Jews were under the political authority of Rome, uh, which meant that they were supposed to pay taxes to Caesar. And many Jews found this very, very offensive because Israel was supposed to be God's nation. They would think, why should we be paying taxes to some pork-eating, Zeus-worshipping king, right? We're, we're God's nation. We should be supreme. We should be a sovereign, supreme nation. And many Jews believe that Scripture foretold that one day Israel would be a supreme nation. And they believed that that era of supremacy would be ushered in by a figure known as the Messiah, and so when Jesus started his ministry and he started doing miracles and he cleansed the temple, he was doing all these things that made it appear this is the Messiah. And so they thought he's going to be a political leader and he's going to make the nation of Israel supreme. And if he's going to do that, well, it stands to reason that he would not pay taxes to Caesar or he would at least tell all of us that we shouldn't be paying our taxes to Caesar. He's going to make Israel politically supreme. That's what any true Messiah would do. Now, as Jesus was gaining influence, there were some Jewish leaders who were very bothered by his popularity because they saw his power as a threat to their own. And so they realized, well, a great way to damage Jesus' ministry is to ask him this question about taxes because, as the saying goes, it puts him between a rock and a hard place, right? It is a no-win situation. If he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, well, then he's in trouble with the authorities. And there's a good chance that they're going to try and squelch what they deem to be a political uprising, right? He's, he's putting himself in danger of going to jail if he says that. But on the other hand, if he says, yes, pay your taxes to Caesar, then he risks losing his popularity and his respect among the people. Because they'd be like, oh, this guy isn't the Messiah. So this is a mean question. And the people who are, who are asking it are asking it because it's mean. But of course, they don't want anyone to know this, which is why they begin their question with all this flattery. Right? Did you notice that? They say, teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You know, All of which, of course, is true. But they're not saying any of that because they're, they're trying to be sincere. They're, they're saying that because they want everyone who's listening to them to think that their question really is sincere, that it's not motivated by a desire to trap Jesus. You know, it kind of reminds me of when, especially on social media, uh, somebody says something like, well, I, I'm, I'm really not asking this question to be condescending. I just really like to hear people's opinions on things. I just want to know what you think. You know most of the time when people say that, they don't really mean it, right? They're setting up this question as a trap, and they just want to make it sound like it's not a trap. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. So now this question has been asked, and Jesus is stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's in a no-win situation. What is he going to do? Well, what he does is pretty brilliant. So let's keep reading in verse 15. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. 
Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. All right, so what just happened there? Somehow, Jesus handled this question in a way that left everybody amazed. Probably because they thought, wow, he somehow managed to wriggle out of this trap here. So, what does he do? Well, he asks for a coin, and then he points out that on that coin is an image of Caesar, right? And, and then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, what does that mean? Let's, let's unpack this, because I think this is really cool, Okay. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Let's consider that first part. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He just asked for the coin. He said Caesar's image is on the coin. So when he says give to Caesar what is Caesar's, the implication, is the, the implication there is give to Caesar the coin that bears his image. Right? It's got his image on it, so it belongs to him. But that means that when he says give to God what is God's, what he's saying is, give to God that which bears his image. And what bears his image? You and me, right? Something every good Jew would be familiar with is Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the creation story, where it tells us that the only thing in creation that is made in the image of God, specifically in the image of God, is human beings. We are made to be God's representatives on earth. We are made to reflect God's character to the rest of creation. So when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, what he's saying is, give Caesar his money, but give yourself to God. And Jesus was asked, essentially, is it a sin to pay taxes to Caesar? And his answer was, it's not a sin to pay taxes to Caesar. Go ahead, give him his money. But what is a sin is to give your allegiance to Caesar. Because you don't belong to Caesar. Whether you pay taxes to him or not, you belong to God. Because just as Caesar's image is on that coin, God's image is on you. So you belong to him. So what does that mean for how we relate to politics? Well, here's what it means. It means that God alone deserves our total allegiance. It means no political party deserves our total allegiance. No political leader deserves our total allegiance. And dare I say it, no country deserves our total allegiance. The only thing that deserves our total allegiance is that which has his image imprinted upon us, God and God alone. You know, we, we have to realize the significance of this. We are not made in the image of the Republican Party. We are not made in the image of the Democratic Party. We are not made in the image of Donald Trump. We're not made in the image of Barack Obama. We're not made in the image of the United States of America. We are made in nothing less than the image of God. And it is God and God alone who deserves our total allegiance. 
when we give our total allegiance to anything other than God, then we give to Caesar what belongs to God. And that's wrong. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. The government can have your taxes, but it should never have your soul. Now, before I go any further here, okay, I want to make something very clear. Uh, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to love our country. Uh, I will say that I personally feel very fortunate to live in the, in the United States. Uh, I, I, I love our country. Uh, I'm thankful for the freedoms and opportunities that it affords me, and I'm grateful that there are people who risk their lives to protect those freedoms and opportunities. And the honest truth is that for me, I don't think there's anywhere else that I'd want to live right now than America. That's, that's my favorite place to be. That's where I want to be. But however much you or I might love this country, we should never give it our total allegiance. Now, you might be wondering, what do I mean by total allegiance? Well, here's what I mean. Total allegiance to country, political party, or political leader looks like this. Obeying without questioning. Honoring above all things. Assuming that whatever it does is right. Defending at all costs. Never allowing it to be criticized. Viewing it as my fundamental identity. That's what it means to have total allegiance. And what we need to understand is that whenever something has our total allegiance other than God, that is not a virtue. Okay, that is evil. And the Bible has a word for it, idolatry. It's a violation of the very first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You know, I think it's easy for us to accept this idea that it's not virtuous to give your total allegiance to a country if it's any other country other than our own, right? You know, who among, of us, who among us would think that it would be virtuous to show total allegiance to Germany when the Nazis were in power? I don't think any of us would think that, right? We would think that the virtuous people in Germany during that time were the people who questioned political authority. You know, the virtuous people were the people who chose to honor God over and above their country. The virtuous people were the people who illegally hid Jews under their floorboards to protect them and who tricked the SS soldiers. Now you might say, well, Ryan, I mean, come on, the, the United States is not 1930s Germany. And of course that's true. Thank God for that, right? But my point isn't that our countries are similar. My point is that it is not virtuous to give your total allegiance to a country. Because countries are human institutions. They're fallible. And we need to realize that total allegiance to country has been at the root of some of the worst atrocities in human history. God and country are not one and the same. Caesar is Caesar and God is God and we must never give to Caesar what belongs to God. If I sound passionate about this message today, 
Part of the reason is because I really believe that across America today, uh, there are many Christians who are giving to Caesar what belongs to God alone. So I have a pastor who's a friend in the South, and, uh, sorry, I have a friend who's a pastor in the South, um, and uh, he has told me over the last couple months about the hardest thing he has had to face since becoming a pastor. And uh, what happened was that this year, around July 4th weekend, my friend was putting together a worship service, and he chose not to include any patriotic songs in the worship service. Uh, now, this is not because he dislikes America. He, uh, he loves America. He loves our country. But he made that decision because he believes that in a worship service, our focus should be on God and on God's kingdom. And he believes that in worship, we need to be reminded that our true citizenship is not in any particular nation, but in God's kingdom. And of course, God's kingdom is not the United States. You know, God's kingdom is not France. God's kingdom is not Egypt. God's kingdom is bigger than any country. And that's one of the reasons I read that passage for invocation, to remind us that God's kingdom includes people from every tribe, nation, people, tongue. Well, that July 4th weekend was now nearly two months ago, and my friend is still dealing with the consequences from that decision. People were livid, livid. One person left the church, small congregation, but one person left the church. Special meetings had to be held. My friend was worried he was going to lose his job. He described himself as being on thin ice. And my friend told me that in one con conversation with a particularly angry congregant, he tried to explain his reasoning for why he, he made that choice, and he said, I just don't want us to idolize America. And the angry congregant, who had served as an elder in the church, responded and said, I do idolize America, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, I'm not sure whether all of us in this room can agree on whether or not my friend made the right decision. But can we at least agree that idolatry is bad? <laughs> can we at least agree that leaving a church because they didn't sing about America on July 4th isn't really a great reason to leave a church? Can we at least agree that failing to put patriotic songs in the worship service is a bad reason to fire a pastor or consider firing a pastor? Can we at least agree that when someone says, I do idolize America, that that's a sign that someone is giving to Caesar what really belongs to God? You know, I would hope that we can at least agree on those things. But I know that in my friend's church and in many churches across our country, they can't agree on those things. And honestly, that just grieves me. That kills me. And I believe that grieves the Holy Spirit too. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure why this is such a pattern of thinking in the American church. Uh, for some reason, many of us have come to see America as God's nation, 
and we seem to think that total allegiance to America is synonymous with total allegiance to God, that these two things will, of course, go together. But Jesus is so clear in this passage. God alone deserves our total allegiance. Caesar shouldn't get that. And again, it is okay to love our country. It's good to love our country. But we have to remember that our primary citizenship is not in America. It's in God's kingdom. It says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And in 1 Peter 2.11, we're encouraged to see ourselves as aliens and strangers in the world. Whatever country you're in, you're supposed to feel like a foreigner. Because your real home is heaven, is God's kingdom. Now, maybe you agree in principle with everything that I've just said, but maybe you're wondering this. What does it look like when my love for my country or a political leader or a political party has gone too far? What does that look like? In other words, how do I know when I've crossed the line into giving to Caesar what really belongs to God? What's, what's the, the clue that I've done that? Well, I would, here's my, my advice here. The first clue I would say is this. If you can never criticize your country, political leader, or political party, that's a sign that you, you have started to give your total allegiance to the wrong thing. And I'm not saying that we should constantly be finding fault with these things, but what I am saying is that we shouldn't always reflexively defend them whenever they're criticized. You know, that means that if our country, our preferred political leader, our political party does something wrong, we shouldn't just be jumping to defendant. We, we shouldn't feel a need to say, oh, well, the other country or the other political leader, the other political party, they're worse. Even if we think that's true, we should feel the freedom to say, yes, that was a wrong thing that my country did. Or, yes, that was a wrong thing that my political leader did or my political party. And it bothers me. It bothers me as a follower of Christ because sin bothers me as a follower of Christ. Lying bothers me. Corruption bothers me. Infidelity bothers me. Unjustified violence bothers me. Evil in all its forms bothers me, and I do not support it, even if my country or my preferred candidate or my party is guilty of it. It still bothers me, and I will still say that it is wrong. One of the terrible things that happens when we give to Caesar what really belongs to God is that we see our support of Caesar as part of our core identity. And here's what it looks like when Caesar becomes part of our core identity. If someone criticize, criticizes our country, we see it as an attack on us. If someone criticizes the political leader we voted for, we see it as a, an attack on us. And so when these political things, our Caesars, become part of our core identity, we reflexively defend them, even if they do terrible things. Now, again, I love our country, but the United States of America is not my core identity. It is a part of my identity, but it's not my core identity. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm a follower of Christ. 
And because of that, I am able to say what our country did to Native Americans, that was awful. That was unjustifiable. That was evil. And the history of racism against blacks in our country, I am free to say that is horrible. That is unjustifiable. That's shameful. And I have no problem admitting those things and calling them out as evil. Because even though I love America, America is not my core identity. It's not my primary citizenship. And that means when America does something wrong, I don't have to pretend it wasn't that bad. I don't have to come up with some excuse for the evil. I'm free to recognize the evil and to denounce it. But if I give to Caesar what belongs to God, if I give my total allegiance to my country, my political leader, any political party, I won't be able to denounce the evil in those things. Instead, I'll try to justify it. I'll try to defend it. I'll try to put the attention on something else. And here's what we have to realize. When we do that, it's one of the most terrible things we can do for our witness as Christians. Because if our response to evil in our country, in our political leader, in our political party is just to justify it, defend it, pretend it's not really there, if that's our response, then it makes it seem like Jesus' church doesn't care about the evil. Right? It makes it seem like Jesus' church doesn't care about lying, about corruption, about racism, about sexual assault, about infidelity, about people from other countries, about the poor. And that's a tragedy. The way I would put it is this. Christ's church needs people who care more about Jesus' reputation than about the reputation of their country or their political leaders or their political party. We should love our country. But the best way to love our country is to love Jesus more than our country. Only he deserves our total allegiance. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And what belongs to God is our whole selves, our undivided allegiance for him and for him alone. Let's pray. Lord, it can be so hard to know how to navigate politics, how to navigate our own identity, who we are. But Lord, I pray that we would first and foremost recognize ourselves as citizens of your kingdom, that we would put our complete and total allegiance uh, in you. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would be faithful, good citizens uh, in every way uh, that you want us to be, but that we would have eyes to see because our allegiance is first and foremost with you uh, whenever there is evil in our country or our political leaders or our political party and in us, God. And Father, I pray that where there is evil, you would give us power to turn from it, uh, that you would give us grace, we thank you, Lord, that, that you are a graceful and forgiving God that, that uh, does not hold our sins against us, Lord. But, Lord, we do want to repent of the sin of giving our total allegiance to anything or anyone other than you. Help us, Lord, as your church, to reflect to the world what you care about and what you value first and foremost. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.